You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Or like sort of understated or what? This is a land that prays for a hero. The humor of the entire situation suddenly gave way to a run for survival. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on Triple R102.7 FM. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another edition of Green the Apocalypse. Triple R's weekly rudely rendered look into an even ruder future and some loose solutions. Just got that out. I just realised that... Loose solutions. Do I have like a a small head? Because I always have to put these headphones on to the smallest setting. No, I have to do that too. I have the same thought. Okay. Me too. I'm hoping that, well... I okay, think I've just Thanks surrendered re- by three small-headed men. Small-minded, <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, thanks. I partially put me at ease. The voices you have heard, uh, the amazing Kate Dundas. How goes? Oh, thanks. It goes well. Yeah. It goes well. Yep. Yeah, I was just saying to Jed that I had a really nice cycle here back from work and I have all these ideas on my bike Mm. and then I forget them all when I stop. So I need to have some kind of recording device. that's strange. Yeah, I also have ideas while riding. Yeah, do you remember? Does it stay in your head? No. <laughs> my 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 bizarrely shrunken head. Yeah, you have tiny a very head. beautifully average sized head. I've got quite a small head too. My sister's really? got a big head. You look, it looks it, mas- it looks great. <laughs> Whatever you're doing there, accessorising, it With works. Hair. Yeah, my hair accessory. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other voice, Jed McCartney. How are you? I'm well, thank you. I'm very well. Yeah. Also, really nice head to body ratio. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Often thought it never said it. It's really it feels nice. We're gonna we're gonna be looking at some viral internet videos. The the first two are actually ones that just came across my Facebook feed, and um, and we're gonna try and pick them apart just with a bit of common sense and also a little bit of thinking informed by thermodynamics and energy literacy. And to talk us through it. To be part of the team, we have return guest Raphael Schuten. Last time you were on the show, you taught Elon Musk a new one. Yeah, yeah. Um, Today it's his brother, potentially. Okay. Keeping it in the Musk family theme happening with my appearances on this show. Um. (laughs) Um, so, and and what your what you study is of some quite quite a bit of relevance, actually, at least the thinking behind it. So, Raf is doing a master's in ecophysiology or plants, a type of plant science where yeah, you're looking at energy of. flows. It's through. like biology, but yeah, I'm specialising in kind of yeah, yeah, plant physiology and looking at energy dynamics. Yeah, in yeah, in metabolism. It, it kind of relates, but like to be honest, I was thinking about a lot of this stuff before. Yeah, I was yeah. studying the science. Yeah, it does yeah. help. And yeah. and you know, we know each other. And one thing that I have gained from you and we've bounced off each other a lot is thinking in a lot of these ways. And, uh, and, and yeah, I, I think a, a lot of our conversation is peppered with me going, oh, oh, that's a really good way of thinking about that. And if I manage to score one in ten back, I feel like I'm doing all right. I think it's I think it's pretty even. It's pretty even. We're being honest. Oh, that's generous. <laughs> Very generous. I, think um, I, I started thinking about this stuff from your website, like, 
14 years ago. So huh. I didn't that kind of evens everything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're faster past. <laughs> um, well, so a little while ago we, we had a meeting, a team meeting, Greening the Apocalypse meeting, and we are talking – and one of the things that Bushy and I originally wrote about Greening the Apocalypse, you know, a little sort of document that informs how we do what we do, and one of the things was that our – the perspectives that we bring are informed by ecological and energy literacy. And when we were going through that, Kate was like, I don't know if I know what energy literacy is. Okay, now is my time to admit something embarrassing. Yeah. I actually studied thermodynamics at uni. No. <laughs> I know. Isn't that really, really embarrassing? But yeah. I didn't. So I was doing engineering and yeah. I, I, I left. Oh, yeah, it's important. I know, but I left engineering to go to yeah. art school because I found it so confusing yeah. and also because I didn't go very much. But I just <laughs> thought I should admit it <laughs> right now before anyone else tells you that I did actually sit in thermodynamics lectures. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Um, look, it's, it's understandable. It's not always taught in the clearest way. It really was. Engineering uh, Oh, nothing yeah. like Adam taught me in his workshop last week, which thanks, Adam, that was really good. Yeah, so we, so I was going like, well, why don't we just sit down over dinner and talk about it one night? And I was like, well, why don't we invite some other people along too? And so we did a, a few people came for a free talk last week and uh, did you? we talked about how energy, like learning just a little bit about energy and thermodynamics can help you develop some intuitions almost about what are good ideas and what are bad ideas, how the world works at some pretty fundamental levels that can be applied at all scales from cell biology to how to cook your lunch to geopolitics. Not that we got into many of those examples because we were sticking kind of back at like it was only so much time. But we did learn lots of interesting facts. Yeah. Like um, how the population energy graph looks a lot like a yeast cell thriving and then dying and we're right at the peak of it just being about to die yeah well no one can predict the future but we have some parallels with with the yeast right who've got a non-renewable resource this is this is the home yeah, brewer fixed environment of fixed environment finite size yeah so there's some parallels <laughs> between the the home brew like your good husband does um making beer which is a finite energy resource the sugar is a parallel to the fossil fuels that we use and us and them both produce carbon dioxide as a waste product, amongst other... And we are the yeast. The, the air. And we create pollution that destroys us. And, yeah, the, the growth model of yeast is one that looks like a bell-shaped curve, more or less, mm-hmm. where at first it's like growth, 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 exponential growth, and then you reach a peak, and then the poor yeast have to start, they run out of stuff and they pollute themselves and they end up dying off. So that's a very depressing perspective. Mm. But unless we find new energy resources, yeah, we're... But this could be something that happens over generations. Generations that could be a happy return to Earth, what David Holmgren Holmgren calls energy descent. And not necessarily collapse, drama. Yeah, we don't know how steep that downward side is going to be. Lovely yeah. floating feeling. We talked about it, that one possibility of the way the world could go, but that thinking from an energy lens, it, it, it does seem like that's a likely one. So the other fact that I stuck with me that I quite liked was mm. the lifestyle that the average Australian needs would require, I'm going to think I'm going to remember this right, 112, is that right? Something like that. Energy slaves yeah. working for one person. So 112 people doing some manual labour, like, I don't know, riding a bike that makes energy or something, 24 hours a day to power the lifestyle of one person. Yeah. We actually did did some different maths 
after the workshop and it looked like it's actually, if you do the full energy analysis, it's more like 600. Whoa. Yeah. For, but to for be a, scientific about it, if like 100, 200, whatever. The, 12, the 12 is not really yeah, yeah. that important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we're yeah. going for a ballpark on it. Yeah, we yeah. would want a one-to-one, wouldn't we, really? Yeah. But these, uh, we did a show on this a little bit where that's like you've got that many imaginary people on bicycles generating electricity to power your lifestyle. But in reality, that's all coming from fossil fuels or 90-something percent of it is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the density of fossil fuel energy compared to the not-so-dense electrical energy. Uh, renewable right? energies, yeah, mm. tend to be more diffuse. Renewable I'm energy. Glad you, yeah, you remembered that bit, albeit slightly... Slightly t- wrongly. Inter- <laughs> ...interpreted. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. It was enlightening and there was nice snacks. There were. And it was a lovely crew. Thank you to everybody that came. Um, yeah, so we want to... Uh, I get any other... Like, we could discuss a little bit of energy return on energy invested. I think that's one of the core themes. This is something you're around, Raf. Do you want to throw in on this one? Yeah. Oh, just like the basic idea. Yeah. Yeah, so... There's this basic idea when thinking about new technologies or um, various fuels that people propose is that they have to get you have to get more back from them than you put in to get them. Mm-hmm. So that's the, the return on your investment. Um, mm. And that's like an ec- economics term, but we use energy return on investment to make it not economic, to make it... We're talking yeah. about the physics. And energy return on energy invested. Yeah, energy yeah. return on energy invested. Um, yeah. So you can analyse say, solar panels or wind turbines, look at, like, how much does it, energy does it take to make the concrete or the silicon mm. cells and to install them on the roofs and for the guy to drive around with the panels or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And it's actually really hard to work out because I'm, where I'm do actually, you draw these lines? Yeah, like, yeah. And in the thing that you're doing, modelling plants, they have to grow a leaf in order to catch sunlight. So that's the exact same principle, that how much energy do they need to put in to grow that leaf and how much do they get back Yeah, the boundaries the are a lifetime. lot clearer. <laughs> for that, there is. Yeah, for yeah. that. It's a lot clearer, a lot simpler math yeah. than like working out, you know, how much of your sandwich goes into, or like the, the solar power installer's sandwich. Is that included uh, in the energy return on the... Yeah, the yeah. solar panels and know, the energy and the person that made that sandwich. Yeah, like, <laughs> the like sandwich how much work, of yeah. their lifestyle do you need to count towards? Yeah, and the person that grew the avocado that was on the sandwich, like where? And where the do you person who smashed that avocado. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it takes a lot of energy to smash an avocado. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So yeah, it's a very inexact science. There's a lot of arguments about this stuff. Yeah, but that's definitely one of the the things that maybe will be really useful as we. Um, have a look at some of these videos that we've got that have come across our feeds. Mm. Yeah. Any other thoughts from that, you know, that did, how useful did you find it overall? It's pretty hard to sort of get uh, like an intuitive grasp of these things in a short amount of time. I found it really useful. I find mm. the, I think that consumption model is something that's, I still don't understand how you can compare one thing with another mm. when everyone's using different assumptions to calculate energy in, energy out. That's a good thing to know because it is very complicated. Yeah. Yeah. So it'd be nice just to have a standard way of doing it <laughs> rather than, you know, often yeah. you draw a circle, a geographic circle around something and say whatever yeah. passes through that circle we can count and everything else beyond that yeah. we'll just forget about. And then there's yeah. that the consumption model that you're talking about where you'd think about who made the sandwich. And it's just vastly, vastly different from each other. Yeah. 
Yeah, but there's different vested interests wanting to draw the line in different places. Well, that's like what if I you're mean, selling I re- solar panels, you want to not include the sandwich. Yeah, but I reckon <laughs> you could argue it however you wanted. Yeah, it's flexible. And maybe you need to statistically analyse all of the work done and, like, look at the median point or something. Or, You're such a scientist, Rash. <laughs> which is something none of us are going to be able to do. <laughs> and what we, what we really want, you know, in navigating the world, because there are all these complicated, well, you know, there's all these new ideas coming across, um, you know, eyeballs, and there's also all these decisions that we have to make in day-to-day life. And in order to do that we we can't do this you know massive scientific study sometimes we can find them and and look at them and read them but who even has time to do that what you actually need most of the time is just a few you know what they call heuristics rough rules of thumb to allow us to navigate and decide which things we do are worth looking into more do you and think I'm, that's down to us as individuals to influence our own behaviors or do you think there should be more done from a kind of regulatory perspective? Uh, well, you know, education, I don't know, it's been a long time since I was involved, but it'd be nice to think it, would, it was about how do you make, you know, you don't have to learn everything about everything anymore. You just have to learn how to look through the bullshit and that's, not, that's thinking about it sociologically, who's, who's saying it and why, but it's also having a certain amount of literacy and scientific stuff especially if we're talking about environmental things, so that you can make informed judgments on that as well. Mm. Mm. And some of it's really simple. Like some of it is not, you don't have to be very accurate. Some of it, say an example I was thinking about today was um, like the comparison of, of diesel oil and vegetable oils. And, you know, a lot of people talk about using vegetable oil to power cars, but if you actually look at the math, there's like 300 times the amount of diesel oil produced as vegetable oil or, hey, well, this or is crude oil. So a potential segue... Yeah, let's pull up a video. Let's see how we go pulling it apart. And, and then in each case, there's three different things we're going to talk about, or at least the first two. One of us has done some research, but what we want to do is hear from the people that haven't and just think about the thought processes that we can apply and how far we can get without research. You are listening to Greening the Apocalypse on 3RRR. You are on Greening the Apocalypse on 3RRR and we are talking about viral videos that are offering environmental solutions. Although are they really? And our guest tonight is Raphael Schutten. We've been talking a little bit about how one of the things you can apply to figure that stuff out is looking at it through the lens of energy. Does it make sense from... And energy going in, how much energy is going in versus how much is energy is coming out perspective. That's just one of the lenses. Also, does it just stink of bullshit? That's another lens. Um, wh- one of the ones that came across my uh, Facebook, f- and, and, you know, I, it turns out that the few that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, you know, I don't think they actually stack up that well. Spoiler alert, but we are going to talk about at the end of the show some uh, technologies and things that we're actually kind of genuinely enthused about. But... To get fo- to focus on them, the good things, sometimes you need to cast some shade on the shit things. And we're not going to – we're just going to pick some things apart. And one of the ones that came across my feed was one about how uh, algae used for um, biofuel could save the world. In fact, it's called How Algae Could Change the Fossil Fuel Industry. If I click play on this YouTube – now, you're not going to get the full experience, listeners at home, but it's pretty self-explanatory. Uh, let's hear just a few minutes of that. 
So this is the dried algae product. After we dry it, we grind it up into powder, and then we extract the oil out of it. That oil is then refined into diesel fuel or jet fuel. The fuel that we're producing is exactly the same in terms of performance as gasoline or diesel or jet. It's just a lot cleaner. I think the big difference is that all the other biofuels, you're growing it, you're just getting biofuel. In this case, every gallon of biofuel, you get 10 pounds of food with it. Dave Hazelbeck is the CEO and founder of Global Algae Innovations, a San Diego-based company growing algae on a farm in Hawaii, which he thinks could change the landscape of food and oil production. There's studies that show with algae grown to replace a large percentage of the animal feed, you could actually solve global warming to a large extent simply by doing that. Second thing is the leading cause of global water impairment is runoff from agriculture. When we grow algae, there's no runoff. All the nutrients are captured in the algae. Environmentally is for deforestation. The leading cause of deforestation is for food production. With algae producing 40 times more per acre, that means if we plant 1,000 acres of algae, that's 40,000 acres of crops that don't need to be planted. So the work here we're doing is extremely important. The world desperately needs algae biofuels and algae protein production. It's going to have a big impact economically. It's going to have a big impact on reducing poverty, improving standards of living, because it'll create uh, jobs and revenue in rural areas. That's why I decided to start this company, so that it could happen quickly, because it's too important for the world for it not to happen. So we're standing right now in one of a larger... May as well stop it there. He, go, he goes on to... I think there was one claim there that um, the... if we could, What do you say? If we could feed the world using algae, we'd solve climate change. And then it goes on to say that uh, if we could have these plants next to power stations and you, you pump the carbon dioxide into the water and it turns it into something fizzy, probably like Coca-Cola. But that, that makes the algae grow faster or oh. algae. I'm using his pronunciation i want shares yeah it's great so he's saying that <laughs> too would solve problems. climate change um to its credit it, uh, it does mention later in this video that there are some challenges to bringing it to commercial scale quite a lot of them in fact yeah but few small challenges yeah yeah but it ends on a on a real high note about how you know reinforcing that this is really this could solve all the world's problems kind of vibe if we get it right so I've done a little bit of research on this one, but I'd rather Ooh. hear, hear you know, what you guys reckon coming in. You may have done a little bit, Raph, but uh, oh, relatively un- on uninformed. Like, how would you approach this? Just what it, and, and think about whether this sounds like a good idea or not. Well, well, I don't know much about algae, but I wouldn't have thought you'd extract a lot of oil from algae. Uh, it turns out that it uh, depends, like... Algae, algae, I don't know how we're saying it, algae. Um, can be at the extreme end by dry weight up to 60% lipids or oils. Oh, wow. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. which is really high compared to, I don't think there's any plants other than nuts or things that are that high. Can I yeah. ask some questions? Mm. What do you need to grow it? What does it eat? Good question. They talk about it can sometimes use waste water, so that might be sewage water. It needs nutrients in it. Um, and you, uh, then, but they looks like they're growing in these massive concrete, uh, channels that are so, quite shallow and they've got yeah, these they wheels, to, spinning. wheels spinning to move it around. Yeah, can, you, move it around. Can, can you grow it in a stacked system? So could you do like other things in the water or just put it in the sea? Mm, it's no, look, it seemed to look like it was contained. Like, yeah. 
I read something about that they need to, to be not be contaminated by other things. Like it needs to be controllable and evil, easily harvested it, it somehow. It grows in some forms, doesn't it, in river systems, the blue-green algae? Yeah, different types of problems, algae. But now there's tens or hundreds of thousands of species of algae. Only a few of them are kind of useful to biofuel production and most of them don't have that high oil content. So how much land area on the water, so water area, mm. would you need to power something that we can compare it to? Uh, I, I read a, a statistic um, from one of their press releases saying that to, to uh, produce five times Australia's uh, oil use, mm. they would need 75,000 square kilometres one percent of Australia's land mass, mm. and maybe there's another thing I read said maybe they could double that, so half that, so maybe forty thousand square kilometres. What's so is that like the size of all the cities put together? Like, or oh, I like think that? it's bigger than all the cities put together. Yeah. Okay, I don't know. Oh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's about the size, but yeah. it's pretty big. In that it's a lot of concrete with water in it. I yeah, just yeah. did a calculation then, and that's uh, seventy-five cubic kilometres of water if it's one metre deep. Uh-huh. So how is much it, concrete yeah. is that? <laughs> Yeah, more than yeah, it's, it'd be like re, yeah, rebuilding, same amount of concrete, rebuilding all the cities in Australia, but not maybe not as big a deal. But so, but do, we're presuming that it needs tubs. to be grown in concrete. Well, maybe they can use plastic tubs of some kind. But it's still a lot of plastic. It's still going to be a lot if it's covering. So energy know, 4, in either plastic or concrete mm. for energy out, eroi. Yeah, eroi. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that would be the thing that I would think first of like. So they're saying it's, like, more productive than crops, but those crops are just shoved in the ground. Like sugarcane, I yeah. washed it when I was a kid. I used to live around the cane fields, and they just – it's just a cutting. They just shove it in the dirt, yeah, and it grows. Like, with very – they don't do anything else. Yeah. Rains, it grows. Um, so there's no, there's no infrastructure. It's just dirt that's there already. Mm. But they're talking about a better yield, but from something that goes in a container that someone had to make and fill with water in yeah. Australia that they'd obviously get from somewhere. It's got to be fresh water. Yeah. Like. <laughs> the, well, there are saltwater versions, actually. Oh, yeah, right. Um, the, now, you, would, you had said you'd done some maths or you were looking at the numbers of how much vegetable oil there is in the world at any one time versus how mu- or how much we use versus how much um, petrol we use. What were the figures? Yeah, there? so I'd use that as a, a kind of ballpark figure. So I think the energy conversion between vegetable oil and diesel is fairly even. Maybe diesel's got a tiny bit more, but, you know, so I've run put, my car on veggie oil. It's yeah. so fairly put a similar lit- return. A litre of soybean oil into your car, it's going to go about as far as if you put yeah. a litre. I mean, don't put it into your car, but if you have... <laughs> yeah, you need filters to and stuff like, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you've got a diesel car, then you're about yeah. as far. Mate. Yeah, so, and, and, but I think the total oil production in uh, food oils in the world is something like 185 million tonnes. Sounds like a lot. Sounds like a hell of a lot. Sounds like a hell of a lot until you realise that the total oil, crude oil production in the world is something like 4,900 million tons how much how many more times is that it's like 300 times more roughly something like that okay okay i think so if we because yeah it gives you a kind of a bit of a reality check so most of those oils are coming oh there's date palm and that but most of them are field crops yeah and there's yeah there's palm oil but there's palm oil is actually the largest now but the majority is still field crops there's um Mm. soybeans is the second largest and canola and you know various other things like that sunflower oil so to match the algae oil potential with the existing diesel oil is that even possible from a landmass well it's possible because it's only one percent of australia but it's a lot of concrete well i don't know if that did the world did it did but 
Oh, it's yeah. 200 times different, I think. But, is it? No. Okay. Well, no, something we'll in that ballpark. There's way more petrol oh, in it. Oh, no, I've done the math wrong. It's 27 times different. So that's actually nowhere near as bad. As oh, really? Yeah. So we make as... We make... Okay. Yeah. That's, that's, so for every litre of petrol we use, we have a little nip of... Um, yeah, a little very small nip. But it's still... We're still like... Yeah, one half kind of orders of magnitude out. Uh-huh. Um, and do we know how much land surface is used to to create the vegetable or the plant-based oils? Yeah, I've got no idea, but, you know... Lots? <laughs> we can make a guess. It's mm. going to be some large proportion of world agriculture. Like, yeah. is it a quarter, maybe? Just oh, think sounds something like Oil's that. Oil's a lot. Yeah, you know, be in that ballpark. So, not including grazing land, of course, but, like... Mm. Yeah, yeah, of, like, of non-grazing farmland. Yeah, it's probably farmland. a big percentage of it. Now, so the question is... Algae's a different thing. They're saying it can grow a lot faster. It's in water. Um, uh, so I think it's got potential if you don't need to build the concrete or the plastic but boulders. How, how long does yeah. the concrete last? Yeah, you, that's another question. If, you, if you're building this concrete once in 200 years, then maybe it is economical. Maybe you are getting a good return on that investment. Mm. If the concrete's only going to last 10 years because the algae... You know, eat at it. it or whatever, then it's not. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's the kind of thinking that, yeah. like, yeah, what is the, how long will this energy investment last for? And that mm. gives you the math of how, what the return is on it. Yeah. Well, um, well, I had a look, I did find one article which did an energy return on energy invested analysis. Zero of, EA. Yes, of, of algal biofuel. It's from uh, 2012, but it didn't look into those infrastructure costs. So if you do do it properly, you would think about how long, how much, how, how much energy went into the concrete, how long does it last for, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This was a very limited study. All it looked at was the electricity that has to go into what they call flocculation, which gets these microalgae out of solution and clumping, and then harvesting. So being able to scoop it out which actually takes a lot of energy, it turns out, because getting tiny, tiny things out of water is hard. Um, and then the energy that goes into drying it and then the energy that goes into what they call the dry extraction of the oil and then what they call the transesterification, Ooh. <laughs> which splits it off into the glycerol from the biodiesel. And what they found was that for, well, you have to put three units of energy in to get one energy of unit back what? in the studies they were doing. So it actually That's was rubbish. Sinking, <laughs> sinking energy into it. Someone so you, should tell that really enthusiastic man on YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> and look, this was just... And that's without including the concrete. That's the without including yeah. the concrete. Um, and the... Although it wasn't counting the byproducts, which were glycerol and livestock feed, which so ah, oh. uh, you got a few benefits. Yeah, some yeah. some yeah. co-benefits. Yeah, but the, they, the man yeah. said you can save the world by yeah. feeding the cows. And like a, a kind of rule of thumb I'd use on if something can save the world would be like if it's ten to one, mm. then yeah, that thing's a winner. That means like ten, one ten. person works on it, ten people get the rewards. Like, so yeah, as a rough rule of thumb, if it a takes rough rule one of rule of en- one unit of energy going in to get ten out, you have yeah. a bit of a party, and not many people have to be out no. there growing the algae or working in the power station or whatever, because yeah. you get for every bit of energy you put in trying to get energy, you get lots back. That's yeah, like, high. Why ten? Yeah. Why not five? I don't know, like five is probably okay too. Three. But then with three, you're starting to get like a third of your society is involved in making this. Oh, that's as a, a good rough point. rule of thumb, you know. 
you know, we're used to, we're coming from like oil. You know, it's really hard to say these numbers. I'm making mistakes when every time I say any of these numbers, but roughly mm. like 100 to 1 kind of at the start of the oil boom at the start of the 20th century. So just to that recap what decline. we're talking about, you use one barrel of oil and you put it in your, um, your machine yeah, drill, that drills yeah. a hole in the ground and you drill a, drill a little hole in the ground because you don't have to go very far and then it starts spurting out and you have a party and you get 100 times more oil back mm. than what you... So that was at the beginning spend. of the oil boom. What are we at now? Uh, well, people uh, say maybe globally something like 10 to 1, so it's nowhere near as good. But algae is the, up, the other way around, according <laughs> yeah. to this one study. Well, but, that's yeah. the F. Yeah. <laughs> they were saying that a lot of those um, energy inputs come from electricity, so it's because you're heating uh, the water and things. So if you power it with renewables. Yeah, then theoretically you could have a low-carbon... Um, liquid fuel, but you're probably better off having an electric car at that point and just charging a battery and skipping this whole infrastructure making the oil. Oh, that's yeah, what, yeah, yeah. So yeah. at the workshop that we had yeah. that Adam ran last week about teaching people about energy in, energy out, or energy return on energy invested, mm. there was a really interesting diagram we drew that connected all the different types of energy and how you converted one type of energy to another. Mm. And something I found quite interesting was the way that you get energy from coal-fired power stations. So it starts off as potential energy. And uh, it, like chemical potential, like in the form of potential. fuel. Yeah. yeah. And then it goes to, help me out, heat. Yeah, you burn it, it gets hot. And then it goes to... Kinetic. Kinetic. You, yeah, Spin you turn... Well, you, you make, first of all, you... Yeah, how is it kinetic? You, you make water expand and then... Yeah, the creates, gas moves up. Yeah, the gas moves. Yeah. And then it goes to potential again. Uh, it goes to ele- electrical from there. Electrical, electrical yeah. to potential. Turbine. But it does all these different things. It's going like through six transformations. Yeah. Whereas yeah and it losses at every point in the it way. Has like that's the entropy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> at every point in time. And I'd, you know, I'd never thought about that, all of those different transformations. Mm. Whereas if you can decentralize that or have something that's easier, you're only losing, you're only having entropy happen once, maybe, yeah. or twice. Yeah, yeah. So the less transformations, usually the the less loss. Mm. Yeah, mm. the better. But I think the I don't know the upshot on algae. It's like uh, it didn't look that that as good as claimed at the very least. Well, when when you those numbers you were talking, you know, three in for one out mm. versus fossil fuels that even today are one in and ten out. Yes, you can see why they're still attractive. Yes, and why a whole lot of people like Exxon Mobil who spent a hundred million dollars. Trying to get algal biofuel happen, just backtracked from that. <laughs> Let's just stick with the fossil fuels. <laughs> I'm Joel Salatin, known as the Lunatic Farmer, encouraging you to tune in every time you can to the muckraking, compost-loving, cud-chewing, soil-building, water-cleaning vanguard of Urban Hillbilly Radio. Greening the apocalypse on Radio 102.7, Free We've been looking at some, and we're going to continue to look at some viral videos that offer environmental solutions that have been been brought to our attention. And you had a look at a one, at look, look at one, didn't you, Raf? Which was about indoor vertical farming. Yeah, I actually have to admit to not watching that video that much because <laughs> of the cringe factor. Um, we could play yeah, two minutes from it. it. Yeah, let's play a little All bit. Right. Yeah, yeah, I didn't. Yeah, because yeah. I actually watch it. 
You can't see it on the outside, but this old industrial neighborhood is an agricultural oasis. Inside this former laser tag arena, about 250 kinds of leafy greens are growing in huge quantities to be sold to local supermarkets and restaurants. This is Aero Farms, a massive indoor vertical farm in Newark, New Jersey. Our mission is to build farms in cities all over the world so people have access to fresh, great tasting, highly nutritious food. Crops are stacked more than 30 feet high inside this 30,000 square foot space. They're grown using aeroponic technology. Typically in indoor growing, the roots sit in water and one tries to oxygenate the water. Our key inventor realized that if we missed nutrition to the root structure, then the roots have a better oxygenation. AeroFarm says the root misting system allows them to use 95% less water than a regular field farm. They also use no pesticides or herbicides. Instead of soil, plants are grown in reusable cloth made from recycled plastic. And instead of the sun, there are rows and rows of specialized LED lighting. A lot of people say, sunless, wait, plants need sun. In fact, the plants don't need yellow spectrum. So we're able to reduce our energy footprint by doing things like reducing certain types of spectrum. This sophisticated climate-controlled system cuts the growing cycle in half, so crops can be grown all year round, but with a much smaller impact on the environment. There's all these stresses on our planet. 70% of our freshwater contamination comes from agriculture. About 70% of our freshwater usage goes to agriculture. One third of our arable land has been degraded in the last 40 years. All these macro trends point to the fact that we need a new way to feed our planet. All right, that was part of a video called This Farm of the Future Uses No Soil and 95% Less Water. And it was filled with images of these, like, it looked like it could have been a scene out of 2001, the Space Odyssey, only it was this kind of hot pink colour because of the grow lights that they're using. Yeah, so there's lots of plastic trees kind of stacked up on top of each other. Yeah, mm, Quite and, high, actually, like a yeah. couple of stories inside, yeah. Yeah, probably yeah. 10 metres, I think. Uh, yeah, couple actually, of not that's yeah. pretty high. Maybe yeah, three yeah. They must be harvesting them on some kind of, like, moving... Ratchet system. Yeah. yeah. And then they were all lined up in rows. So there's hundreds of plastic trays all on top of each other and set out in rows with lots and lots of lights above each tree. Yeah. And then... Those misting systems at the bottom of all the plants on each each tree. Mm. Does that? Can you visualise that, Jed? You didn't see it. Absolutely, mm. great description. <laughs> and it's had uh, over four million views and a mm. lot of likes. Not too many dislikes. Oh, you're going to dislike it. This sort of brings it. I mean, it's completely off topic, but it's this whole thing about how critically do we um, evaluate stuff like that? Because mm. I'm sitting over here, I'm listening to it. It's great. Mm. I want some. Yeah. Well, so, Raph, you did a bit of research into this one. How do you want to play this? Do you want us to, to give our kind of like... Yeah, I want, I want you to... Yeah, you do a bit of guesswork first and then I'll... Um, yeah. I'm actually just borrowing someone else's research. But, yeah, we've yeah, got yeah. some numbers for this that okay. would be interesting. Okay, energy yeah, yeah. in. So there's all the energy into those plastic trees mm-hmm. or to make yeah. the plastic trees. There's the electricity for the grow lights and the misting thing. Oh, yeah, there you go. And the man who was in there with the cloth that gets misted Mm. had a kind of hazard suit on. Yeah. So there's the material in his hazard suit and why is he wearing a hazard suit? Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's very hygienic. It looks very hygienic. It's very hygienic. <laughs> but then there's also normal agriculture that has a lot of input. Mm-hmm. Phosphates. Yes. Well, they'll have those in here too. They have those in there too. Yeah. Okay. Um, they did say like one percent of the use, but that is just that's just that's nonsense. not that's just nonsense. Like one <laughs> yeah. percent. Like they they basically need the phosphate to make their cells and DNA and stuff. Like you know. Yeah, that's it. Let's they, say they, they the normal farmers waste ninety nine percent. Yeah, of the farm, farming is wasteful, but modern not that much. It's not that wasteful. Yeah, like that's money through down the drain. They're not that wasteful. Yeah, you can't make that kind of. So there's savings in water. Mm. So they say. Mm-hmm. They said a hundred times as well. Whenever someone says a hundred times, two orders of magnitude better. Bam, bam, warning, warning. That's too much better. Yeah. <laughs> it's never going to be that much better. That's too much better. <laughs> New technologies are not a hundred times better. <laughs> like, so, so, from the energy perspective, what it seemed to me like the the big, massive energy cost is that you've and it must be really hot in there because you're basically getting mm-hmm. the power of the sun with some of the spectrum removed. So, let's say half the power of the sun. But I think it's probably more. But you've got that going at all these different levels. It must get how do they keep it cool? Is there air conditioning? But anyway, there's there's like because for every layer of growing things, there's you've got to have something close to the energy of the sun coming out, um, and that's going to be a lot, a lot of electricity. And so, but what you're offsetting that against is the transporting costs of mm-hmm. getting um, the yeah. greens, which they seem to be growing, and other vegetables from a farm, wherever that is. Sometimes it's ridiculously on the other side of the world. That might might work out better than flying a little bag of lettuce from Japan or something. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I don't. But my gut instinct is it's probably not going to work out. All that incredible amount of energy going into that small space is probably not going to work out better than the energy of... um, Because when you put that lettuce into a big truck, it's not like it's one bit of lettuce in the big truck. It's like the truck's full. And I don't think the amount of energy to transport that stuff is going to be anywhere near the amount of energy that you're... We're getting previously for free from the sun that you're now using electricity for. Unless they're walking it to a market... So you're going to put it in a truck anyway. Oh, they look, might not I'm assuming it's for Hubbard. For, yeah, forget about their transporting costs because yeah. that's the, that's the draw card. It's like right in the city where you're going to eat it. So I'm not even considering that. But yeah, let's mm, pretend they don't let's pretend anything, yeah. it doesn't exist. Well, the, the yeah. trucks and the planes and stuff that deliver the lettuce from far distant lands to us are often only full in one direction. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Mm. Yeah, you want to consider yeah. that. But I, let, I mean, that sounds like a terrible thing to be doing from the first. But more realistically, you're getting your vegetables from somewhere like Werribee or Cranbourne, which are just like 20 k's away, mm. 30 k's. What about the soil? So, or they don't have the, any soil. There's no soil. But so it's but, just a plastic mat. <laughs> but if oh. you were doing good agriculture, you could make the soil better. Yeah. That's true. This, as far as I can see, there is no way for this to be an environmental good. It might be less bad, but it is possible to make farming regenerative yeah. in a lot of circumstances yeah. and actually build soil and capture carbon. Tell us, Raph. Yeah, you've done some research. All right, yeah, I'll go through this research. So um, the best thing I've found is actually a guy who is quite an interesting guy. His name's uh, Bruce Bugby. And he's the guy employed by NASA to look at growing plants on Mars. So this is a techie kind of guy who's yeah. into this kind of indoor stuff, growing uh-huh. things with energy that, like, yeah, this, this is his thing. And oh, just I'll, speaking of the high-tech guys, this Kimball Musk, Elon's brother, is one of the proponents of this form of... of he's doing yeah, shipping yeah. containers. Yeah, yeah, he loves this, like, we said purple might, light, yeah. yeah. Small-scale, like, innovative, like... Um, 
He's he's kind of pitching it like the people doing the work are the entrepreneurs. And he's yeah, just yeah. Like this but anyway, yeah, skimming from them. But this um, Mars researcher guy, yeah, this Mars researcher guy. So he, being at NASA and being a you know plant scientist that does this mm. stuff, uh, apparently was fielding a lot of emails about these vertical gardens mm. early in the day to the point where he had an auto reply mm-hmm. for those situations. <laughs> um, and people asked him to do talks on it, so he went out and did the calculations and wrote a couple of papers. Mm. Um, so he did a really good, thorough energy analysis of all the way through of comparing these different systems. Mm. Um, and the prognosis was not good for yeah. Kimball Musk's system. Um, his, his video is called Why Vertical Farming Won't Save the Planet. Uh-huh. It's a bit of a, you know, let you in on what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, so firstly, he worked out that the, the power, the main problem is the power for the light, basically. Yeah. So to get one acre of sunlight, you need $400,000 worth of energy Oofed. per year. Like uh-huh. you're just getting that for free on the acre of sunlight. And if anyone in agriculture knows an acre is not very much. Yeah. Like these it's things are measured in like. Yeah, so it's four kind of standard house blocks. Yeah. Huh. You need like $400,000 for that. Um, that's not counting the cost of lights, just the running costs. Yeah, that's just the electricity. That's yep. none of the infrastructure or anything else. Mm. Um, and then people are saying, well, we can power it with solar panels. But it's like, firstly, this is a, the very fundamental law for um, energy analysis. Solar panels have to have a loss. Laws of thermodynamics, they have to give you back less than they're, they get from the sun. So about 15% efficient? Yeah, entropy. 15%. Entropy. entropy, yes. Entropy, entropy. That's entropy. Way. Even if they're 20, let's be generous, say yep. 20. So they're 20, you need five times the area of solar panels than you would if you just used the sun. <laughs> so this thing is like yeah. just from that, it's insane. Even if solar panels were really good, you can never use less area of solar panels than yeah. you would just having the plants out in the sun like they always have been. Yeah. So there's, that's basically I don't have to say any more than that yeah, now, yeah. but I will continue just to flesh this out. Um, so, yeah, he, he worked it out that, to grow a kilogram of dry weight, you need $32 in electricity. You had a really good calculation looking at the moles of photons coming in and comparing them to how many grams you could make with all the assumptions being the best possible growth from any leaf. Okay. So um, you've got your kale chips, kilo of those. Yeah, kilo of those, $32. That's some expensive kale. So uh, basically you worked out like... That's just the electricity yeah. cost, not paying the people. Yeah, not paying the people. The yeah. only way this could possibly no work No seasoning is on them. Maybe basil. Maybe basil. Basil is expensive. Huh. might work for basil if you can get a contract with restaurants or something because you, mm. you can provide that stuff all yeah. year, day and night, whenever, basil. So you might... Or weed. A weed. Oh, weed, totally, yeah. Obviously but, but people weed. are running viable businesses, Anything aren't they? drugs, yeah. Mm. People are doing this, so how, how does the um, economics work? Yeah, I think they're growing like microgreens and things like that. Super things that are expensive, things. yeah. Okay. Especially the microgreens industry, and they're like, yeah, $30 a kilo kind of deal. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you can break even in those kind of things. Um, but then, um, yeah, this... He made a comparison with conventional farming and mm. really the cost of transport is not that much. Yeah. If you're shipping right across the United the States... The energy cost. The energy cost of transport is low. Uh-huh. Shipping right across the United States is bad. That's like half the total cost. Yeah. But it's not, it's not 10 times the cost of farming. It's like mm. the same. Yeah, yeah. It, he's, he's actually the best result in that was like small-scale greenhouse growing near a city is the best thing you can do yeah. but without the lights. And the lights are an order of magnitude worse than conventional farming. Energy-wise. Energy-wise. Okay, so 10 times as bad. 10 times as bad. 
You are listening to a Triple R podcast. Podcast, etc. <laughs> it has been wonderful, Raphael Shooten. But before you go, are there any like technologies that you get genuinely excited about? Yeah, well, uh, off the cuff earlier in the day, we were talking about this, and um, straight away I thought, in this context, greenhouse plastic. Yeah. Compared to these, like, Musk's idea... It's just, like, cling wrap kind of stuff. It's basically big, strong, giant cling wrap. Yeah. And it's awesome. (laughs) Why? For what? What would you do with it? Because, like, you make a greenhouse, it makes it warmer, the plants grow faster, it protects them from the wind. So, so actually, plastic on a greenhouse. Yeah. I thought this was some newfangled thing. No, it's just some old thing. It's just, like, this is the real kind of... newfangled, but... Yeah, a lot of the things just, that are really great are daggy. Yeah, they're daggy. These are boring things. It's just a sheet of plastic over. But like, Kimball actually, Musk does not get laid by saying greenhouse plastic. Yeah. I'm gonna s- hoop houses for save the world. Like, yeah, but hoop houses are awesome, and they have increased in use heaps in the last decade because they're awesome. They reduce yeah. transport. They reduce like heating uses in places where they need like warmth to grow veggies and stuff. So it makes a little microclimate. You can grow yeah. different stuff closer to cities. Yeah, totally. By using plastic. Yeah. On a or, greenhouse. Or you can grow it in Scotland. Like I was in Scotland and they were growing veggies like... Because Scotland's in, the best it's, it's place really in the cold. land. It's and great. And you can do whatever you want But there. they want to grow their own veggies there. Like, um, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What about glass? That's awesome. Well, glass has the, a lot more energy cost. Mm. Break, you know, it's a thick thing. You need to heat it up really hot. Like, pl- the plastic is really simple, you know. Mm. It's not dangerous and you can wrap anything. it up, unlike glass. You can glass. wrap it up, yeah. How long does it last? I think it's like a decade or something. Seems reasonable. Yeah. 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 Except for, yeah. Bit of bit of a hailstorm on your screen, but yeah, anyway, yeah, it's yeah. pretty pretty. Yeah. That was great. Like so low tech. There was some um, BBC uh, thing into what the greatest invention people thought there was. You know, uh, sliced bread. Well, uh, no, it was um, <laughs> pe- people uh, voted for the bicycle. And it's like oh, oh you course. barely even think of it as an invention. It's been around so long, and it's kind of daggy. Yeah, but it's awesome. This is the next level of like yeah. You wouldn't. I would really think of it say that invention. if we weren't on an agricultural theme tonight. But you know, yeah, yeah. kind of stuck with the yeah. Nothing yeah. better than a bike. What are underappreciated yeah. things? Tape. People just took some flat stuff and they put made one side of it sticky. Genius. <laughs> <laughs> Velcro. Be- yeah. 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 Bring it. Um, I was thinking like uh, I was thinking more high tech when I was considering this question. So I was like, and this is controversial, but I know GMOs are like everyone's you know hates them and stuff if they're a bit lefty or greeny or whatever. But I, you know, the part of that's the economic model around it. Not the technology itself, although some people would disagree with that. It's just like... Oh, yeah, they would, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, with CRISPR and these much more um, tailored and exact GMO technologies, I What's feel like... What's CRISPR? Uh, it's complicated, but it's like a, a much more sophisticated way of doing genetic engineering. And yeah, uh, there's potential for like these things that could be change the world, like edible oaks which they are yeah. edible already, but um, yeah. to be developed because they're just so hard to do. It's a multi-generational effort and it's really hard to do a breeding program for that, but you could produce... Edible for who? For humans. People, yeah. yeah, and they're really drought-hardy and that could change the world. But you That'd just be a pretty good return to, on investment too. Yeah, at, at be energy point. return. Trees yeah, just grow, you just, I mean, you just yeah. pick them up off the ground and um, yeah. yeah. This has been our first April Amnesty edition of Greening the Apocalypse. Thank you so much for turning the knobs and pushing the dials. I'm not sure if I got that the right or the wrong way around, but you did, Jed McCartney. <laughs> you. My pleasure. Thanks. You, you're going to be back 
next week, Kate Dundas. We don't know what we're doing, but we're that, back for a mysterious show next week. That keeps us on our toes. I feel Thanks more so energy literate, for, you know. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for yeah. that. She'll, she'll be walking around tomorrow going, ah, entropy. Yori <laughs> <laughs> every, every Everyone ageing even rapidly around you. More rapidly around you. Yeah, I get that. You've been listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. For more podcasts, information about upcoming events and our live stream, please visit our website at rrr.org.au.